Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the decision point with Anand and Dury. Anand, we've had a lot of uh, coaching firings and some that I am celebrating that I was so right, right as rain, right as rain, the pod father with these coaches and these coaching trees, entire coaching trees being chopped down this year. Very excited for the complete vanquishment of anything that resembles a Belichick or a Belichick tree or a seed of a Belichick, a sapling of a Belichick. Just a forest fire coming in and wiping out all of the growth and the old growth, especially the dead embers all burn to the ground. This is I love this. I let it burn. Let it let it burn, Anand. You have Belichick out, Carol out. Ron Rivera out. Frank Reich was in Carolina for all of 12 minutes. He's out. McDaniels is out. Arthur Smith, thank God for fantasy gamers, is out. I mean, you know, we're in the, this is the craziest coach opening I've ever seen. There are eight teams looking for a coach right now. Eight. Let's go through them. Okay. Most recently, the Patriots. Okay. Right. Seattle, Tennessee, Atlanta, Carolina, Washington, Los Angeles. Las Vegas, it's a lot. And there are some good rosters there, too. It's not like all of these teams are bad. Usually you're looking for a coach when when the roster is relatively bad. You're cleaning house. You're looking for a new GM. You're looking for a new head coach. You're looking for new everything. And a lot of these teams, you know, Seattle was a playoff team a year ago. That's not, that's not a horrible roster you're inheriting there. The Chargers, we've talked about how many pieces they have. That job should never be available. And it is right now. So, Yo. you know, you... If you have, you know, if you're a Mike Vrabel leaving Tennessee at this point, one, you're a hot coaching candidate name, and two, oh. you have your pick of of good jobs too oh. to go interview for. Oh. It's not like it's not like you're forced into taking oh. a job you don't want. I gotta get Mike Vrabel. Oh, oh, Mike Vrabel's available. Oh my God, Mike Vrabel's available. Mike Vrabel, the Mike. V- oh my God. The Mike Vrabel, the guy that had the, the number one seed and lost immediately, that Mike Vrabel? Oh, wow. The guy that fixed Ryan Tannehill? Oh, I got to get this guy. Got to get the Oh, man, the guy that unlocked the the power of Derrick Henry? Oh, Mike Vrabel. He's, 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 he's so, what, a good, what a great hire he would be. <laughs> what are we talking about? I'm so happy for 
uh, the the rational NFL analysts to win the day on this. Those of us are like, listen, if Belichick fails this year and the Patriots have a losing record, they face plan, he's gone. It doesn't matter that he has a relationship with Kraft. It doesn't matter that he's been with them for this many years and that the, the franchise is, is built around his identity. If he goes 4-13, and 13, he's gone. That's what I said. I said, don't be surprised when the Patriots move on from Bill Belichick. No, no, that's not, no, no. And then at the halfway point in the season, well, and at the very end, it's like, no, no, he'll, no, yes, yes. All these guys gone. Pete Carroll gone. Gone, 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 gone. Bye-bye. Ron Rivera. Did anyone think, like thinking back, right? Anyone staking a claim to the idea that Ron Rivera was a long-term hire in Washington? What? 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 And I think this is a great day for Tom Brady. I think that Tom Brady is smiling. I think he respects Bill Belichick 100%. I think he does. But at the same time, he's smiling because he's like, well, Bill, uh, I left and I won a Super Bowl somewhere else. And now you're fired. So who was really responsible for all those championships in New England during the aughts and the teens? It was me. Hi, Bill. It was me. Belichick, the coach, saved Belichick, the GM. Brady, the quarterback, saved Belichick, the coach, and Belichick, the GM, several times, too. It, it doesn't have to be this whole, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I think a bigger talk here, bigger point about what's going on is New England had one really awful bad season at four and 13 has arguably, if not inarguably, the greatest coach of all time. And they said, kick rocks, hit the door. I'm staring out at Chicago right now. I don't know if you watched the Bears play this year, but their answer to having a horrible season, a really bad season where they improved slightly and, you know, defensively they improved dramatically because they were the worst team in the league last year yeah. or one of them. their answer is bring back a head coach that everybody thinks is going to get fired mid season or later into next season have complete. No one has any idea what they're doing at quarterback. They haven't said that they're going to keep Justin Fields. They haven't said they're drafting somebody number one. Nobody has any idea what they're doing, but they're all good with, hey, we'll fire the offensive coordinator and run this thing back. That's the difference between ownership and Robert Kraft that says, dude, we don't care what you did for us in the past. It's about the here and now. We're trying to win. Do you really and want that, though? Do you really want maximum coaching turnover? Like, I don't want that. Like, I don't think that the coach is the answer, and therefore, I'm not a fan of this. Like, you have to understand, I am not a fan of all these coach firings and all this turnover and all this uncertainty. It hurts the team. Ultimately, it's all about the players and their comfort level. And if, if they like Sean McVay, then Sean McVay should stay in Los Angeles forever. If... The 49ers players like Kyle Shanahan, then he should be the coach there. We know from hard knocks, the Dolphins players like Mike McDaniel. He should stay there as long as the players want him, right? So if the offensive line is improving, if the offense is improving, if the defense had a, a radical improvement from 2022 to 2023, then I say, Keep the stability in place. 
Chicago. I thought that was a brave thing to do. So I disagree with you. I think it was brave that they would that they would keep the coach in place and not just run for a scapegoat and say, no, 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 it's not the GM's fault for picking bad players in the draft and signing players for too much money. No, 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 no. It's 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 the coach. It's it's the it's the the play sheet caddy on the sidelines. That's the guy we're gonna blame to deflect blame away from the real problem with most of these franchises, which is the front office and the fact that they're just bringing in the wrong players and they're not getting in the draft and they're not getting great value in free agency. However, I am also allowed to celebrate the demise of the coach worshipers in our community of NFL analysts, fantasy analysts. So often their analysis starts with, oh, Coach X is going to get the most out of player Y. And that's just a fallacy. It's wrong. And this idea that Mike Vrabel is this above-average coach, and then to see him fired, and that Bill Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. I don't know that to be true. I don't know who the greatest coach is of all time. I don't care. It's impossible to measure the best coaches of all time. Because if you say it's Belichick, well, he had Tom Brady, and he had Randy Moss, and he had a lot, so many, like, uh, well-above-average talents during those championship years, where what did Bill Belichick do to, to make that comeback against the Falcons? It was luck and Brady. That's what did it. And the, you know, the the most improbable catch by Julian Edelman that anyone's ever seen. That wasn't Belichick. Didn't, Belichick didn't go onto the field, didn't use mind control, right? Didn't use telekinesis to to uh, to to guide the football, uh, you know, uh, and make it hover over the ground so that Edelman could secure it. He didn't do any of that. It wasn't his doing, man. It was the players' doing. So having all of the Former Patriots, including Pete Carroll, former Patriot. Every coach that had the word Patriot on their resume, gone. I can celebrate the burning down of the Bill Belichick coaching tree, just burning it to the ground, nothing but smoking embers, while also laughing at ownership, the equity holders of these franchises, thinking that they could just fix it by changing the guy that's running the projector in the meetings. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The crux of this becomes, who is your owner? What do they want? How much influence do they have over their day-to-day operations? If you are the CEO, basically all these owners are the CEOs of their own enterprises, and they can do whatever they want because they own them. You know, they can run them as they see fit. Jerry wants to be a fan and an owner at the same time. David Tepper wants things to work that just don't work. Arthur Blank wants a winner. Robert Kraft is used to hoisting trophies. If you're not hoisting trophies, he's going to have problems with it. Every owner runs their ship in a different way. But the biggest problem is if you take the job in Carolina right now, what are you signing up for? You're signing up for an owner that last year openly 
This is now confirmed by multiple people. Your owner stepped in with your number one overall pick and had you take a quarterback you don't want. Now your coach is fired. If you go take the job in Carolina, it has nothing to do with the roster. It has nothing to do with who your general manager is going to be. It has everything to do with, can you get David Tapper to take his hands off of decision-making? For years, this has been an issue because most of these guys are corporate billionaires. They're not football people. And if they're not football people, they can't make football decisions. They sign checks. If you are a good CEO, one of the best things that you can do is delegate appropriately. Know when to take your hands out of things. The bad owners in this league don't know how to do that. And that's why you look at the bottom of the NFL over and over and over again. The teams that historically have sucked. What had to change? Ownership had to let go. They had to let go and let a general manager and a head coach come in there. Look at Cleveland. They're more empowered to do things in Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski than any Browns head coach and GM have been in years. And that's what it took to get the Browns turned around. It's not about having the perfect quarterback. It's not about investing properly in the offensive line until you get ownership to say, okay, this is your, this you're running this. We're just bankrolling checks for you. We'll go to whatever meetings you need. We'll take public stands for you when we need to take public stands for you. But that's the issue. The issue is very rarely that a general manager or head coach is as lame duck as you think they are. It's often that non-football people are trying to make football decisions with their checkbooks. It doesn't make any sense. It's never made any sense. And to this day, you're going to have someone else come in, the next NFL team that goes up for sale. It's not going to go to a football guy. It's not going to be Brady and Manning that buy it. And eventually you're going to run into the same problem again. So when you get rid of a Dan Snyder in Washington and you bring in Josh Harris and his group of people, that's awesome. Will they empower their next GM and head coach to do their jobs? Because if you watch what happens in Detroit, Cleveland, Buffalo, three places that historically sucked for 15, 20 years, look what happens when they empower their GM and head coach to go do the jobs that they were hired to do. Stick through them through the bad times. There are going to be bad times, no matter who you are, unless you're the Pats, where you have this unprecedented 20-year run. The, the only thing that you can do is open your checkbook and allow them to do the jobs that you hired them to do. And if you force them, like Chicago has, to do it with one arm tied behind their back and retread after retread, with quarterbacks they didn't want and offensive coordinators they didn't want and GMs they didn't want and head coaches they didn't want, ultimately you would you end up with exactly what they've been for 35 years, which is a jumbled mess of parts that is staring at Green Bay wondering how the fuck do we get to be them. There are precious few meddlesome top equity holders left in the NFL. Have you noticed this? Certainly the David Teppers are finishing in last place. And they are part of the reason. But look at the NFC. Who's on top of the NFC East? Oh, somehow the Dallas Cowboys. In a year where Jerry Jones has come out publicly on multiple occasions saying, I have taken a step back. I am less involved in the day-to-day. He's been saying this for the last five years. And it's true that incrementally he has been letting go of control. We know Jeffrey Lurie has, you know, brought back Howie Roseman. And part of that bargain of bringing Howie Roseman back was, I am going to take a step back. Jed York publicly took a step back, right? We think uh, Detroit, right? Look at, look at Detroit. Sheila Ford Hamp. 
she has been public about how that she's not trying to put her finger on the scale. Green Bay doesn't even have a top equity holder. It's just a bunch of people that live in a town, right? And this is all the Les Snead is one of the most empowered general managers in the league, and that's who's representing the NFC in the NFL playoffs. So you're right. You're right. You've never been more right about what matters. What matters most is whoever the top equity holder is, get out of the way. Shut up and and stop meddling. And you and, and the fact that David Tepper had his hand slapped so hard that they that another general manager could have e- you could easily see them picking CJ Stroud that he would overpay to such a degree such an egregious overpay and then get get it wrong at the quarterback position is you know a cautionary tale and there'll be less and less of this meddling over time. I think that's true. I also think that Carolina is an interesting spot to land if you are a coach because and this is why I like Bryce Young in fantasy next year and in dynasty because there's nowhere to go but up. The wide receiver core is going to get better. The offensive line is going to get better. I wish they had more cap space. So what's interesting, when you look at the cap space, the top three teams in cap space are Washington, Tennessee, and New England, all coachless. So just based on that alone, those would be the teams I circle, right? So do you have a lot of cap space or do you have a a potential franchise quarterback? Bryce Young is still a potential franchise quarterback, even though he failed so miserably in 2023. Peyton Manning had a miserable rookie year. Jared Goff had a miserable rookie year. We've seen it time and time again. So, you know, the the book is not written for Bryce Young just yet. So I'm happy to be right in 2023 on Bryce Young and then also see him as a buy low in 2024. So I think that would you agree that the best, most attractive head coaching jobs are those with the teams with the cap space or potential franchise quarterbacks? Yeah, I think the having the established quarterback, especially if you're looking at a veteran head coach, is a big deal. When you look at, you know, obviously people have been talking about Harbaugh to the NFL every year since like 2019. If he has his choice, I still think it would be the Chargers, even though they're in kind of a precarious cap spot, only because you have a guy and you know he's a guy in Justin Herbert that is among the elite passers in the NFL. He's shown it year after year. He's got mobility. You don't really find six six frames like that very often that can move like he does. Um, accurate. So that's every the, level that's the number field. one job available, right? Yeah, I, I I totally agree. They've got some cap stuff that they've got to clean up. There are a lot of expiring contracts. Twenty twenty four is kind of a reset year, I think, for them in terms of cleaning some some money off their books and going into 25 and beyond with the guys that they believe can really push this, this thing forward. Um, You've got some aging veterans and some spots that you'd ideally like to replace with younger players. They try to do it with Johnson last year, but you know, you're, you're looking at someone coming in that's going to have a much different plan than Brandon Staley had. And, you know, I I believe Tom Telesco is gone also. Uh, Yeah. Well, there Theo has circled Brock Bowers for the Chargers. Oh, that's fun. So oh that's, man, that's that's that's, that's that's in the works. That's already in the works. <laughs> Maddie and Theo love Brock Bowers to the Chargers, and I like that too. I like that too because it's going to be difficult for them to reinvest in the wide receiver position in the first round, two consecutive years. It's been done, but it's rare. So shout out Detroit. Was that back to back to back? Well, that is Detroit. <laughs> I think it was what Mike Williams, Roy Williams, and then Calvin, something like that. We we've seen it a, a couple times. We've seen it a couple times. The Eagles did it. Right. The Eagles said, oh, yeah. you know what? 
I'll see your Jalen Rager and I'll raise you a Devonte Smith. So they did the right thing. They, they, they were, they were not affected by the PTSD of the wide receiver position. I think after Los Angeles, you would have to circle Carolina as being the next best job because of the possibility that Bryce Young is the prince that was promised next year or the year after. But to take that position, you need assurances and a wink and a nod during the interview process that, hey, we're going to lose and we're going to lose big in 2024. And you can't hold me responsible for it. We don't have the roster to win, nor do we even want it. Let's have one more year of a full tank rebuild and then let's circle together. We'll all do it together. We'll circle 2025 on the calendar. And that's the year you hold me accountable. I'm, I'm signing up for that job if, if that's the bargain. Well, the question is, if you're, if you're David Tepper, and based on the way that he's operated, he clearly wants – his decisions in the past have been veteran coaches. So the question is – do you bring in a veteran head coach or do you change your process and say, hey, we'll go get a guy like Ben Johnson in Detroit and say, I will give you more money than anyone has ever given an offensive coordinator to be a first-time head coach. I'll give you contract terms that allow you to be here for as long as you want and allow you, I'll take my hands off and leave you to do what you do because I've invested so much in Bryce Young. He has to work. That's another case in point of why we thought the same thing for a while about Trey Lance. He just couldn't get on the field. But when you invest as much as Carolina invested in Bryce Young, he's going to have to work or you're going to die trying with him. That, that's just that's how it works when you traded the assets they traded to get to number one to go get him. I don't think the book's written on Bryce Young either. I think he's still capable of being a very good NFL quarterback. Now, someone's got to come there and do that and help him out and build that roster out around him so he can show that he can do that. Because there are throws that he made this year where you that jump off your screen and you're like, oh, it's still in there. there there's still stuff in there. It's, it's, he's not dead. We haven't completely ruined this poor kid yet. But that's a really rough year one. So you're looking at, you know, do we want the, the, the foundational strength of an established coach? Do we want youth and innovation from someone like a Ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick, Houston? You're looking at, you know, two different paths and whatever David Tepper decides is ultimately going to decide poor Bryce Young's future because he didn't deserve this, man. Like, like that roster is God awful on the offensive side. It was tough to watch at times this year. They have nobody. They, they, Iki Aquanu, I think, has still, still has potential, right? And, and you, so you have a potential anchor left tackle. I know he took a step backward this year, but listen, it, he, he, he's got the, the raw material and he has the nasty factor. You've got your your alpha corner in J.C. Horn. You've got some pieces. You've got some building block pieces to build around. So I I like Carolina as a spot for a coach. There are some spots I would I would I would not touch. Like Atlanta does not have a quarterback, does not have a path to a quarterback, given that they finished just good enough to be out of range of the elite quarterbacks in the draft and would it would necessitate a major trade up which would be an overpay which would just be another compounding mistake and then if you look back they have all these first round duds where it's Kyle Pitts and then they invest in a running back in the top 10 so it's like it would be like taking the Giants job 4 years ago where it's like you just burned a, an early first rounder on Saquon Barkley. It's going to be years before we can work through this 
malinvestment to get back to a place where we're 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 spending up on the right positions at the right time and in, in the building process. So we we talked about this for years. We talked about this for years back going back to when Matt Ryan was a Falcon that they were it was an accidental rebuild and the danger of the accidental rebuild is you don't pick the right positions in the right rounds and you make the right investments in the right years if you don't sequence it properly you're upside down and now they're upside down in that they have a losing record they're rudderless no quarterback and they don't even have cap space they're in the middle of you know the the pool of cap space so they're in a complete purgatory talk about quarterback purgatory every kind of purgatory is where Atlanta is, so I would not want that job. You're like, oh, you get uh, all these offensive skill position players, fantasy football, right? Oh, you got Drake London, and you got Bijan, and you—that's a great job. Oh, Kyle Pitts, you could you could fix Kyle Pitts. Oh God, I would love that job. No, that is a that is a purgatory doom loop job. And the 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 interesting part about Atlanta is just like you said. They're out of range, I think, for the first three quarterbacks, which are going to be Caleb, Drake, May, Jaden Daniels. Now, are you going to take the dart throw on Michael Penix, who's had moments that look, he's looked fantastic and other moments that he hasn't? Are you going to take the, the dart throw on that Bo Nix as is what we thought he was at Oregon, other than, you know, brief moments here and there? I'm excited for Penix, though. Penix is a big process quarterback, right? We're going to see how he evolves throughout the process. Does he fall out of the first round like Will Levis? Or does he jump into the top three like Trey Lance? We don't know. We don't know. We're going to see how he performs throughout the process. We've seen quarterbacks from smaller schools that we didn't see in the top three jump into the top three. Carson Wentz was another one. Remember he wowed at the combine. Remember Mike Mayock ooing and eyeing at the, at the, at the deep passing of Carson Wentz at the, at, uh, the accuracy of the deep passes. Oh, God, this guy. This kid's going to be incredible. Uh, you know, number two pick overall, right? Trey Lance, number three pick overall. So that's very much in play for Penix. So that's an, he's interesting. But then he would be out of range of them too. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible place to be picking 10th, which is like the Brady Quinn zone. You don't want to be in the Brady Quinn zone of the draft. It's a very bad zone. You know who else was that in that pick? That, you know, that, that, that zone is, is Jake Locker. That is Blaine Gabbert. That is Brady Quinn. These are, it's bad. It's a very bad zone. You do not want to be drafting QB4 in a draft class at pick 10. I mean, you might say, oh, that's also the Patrick Mahomes zone. Okay, yes, there's a, yes, there's a Mahomes, right? Yes, Mahomes and Watson once upon a time fell to that spot. That was a moment in time, the 2017 draft. I get the 2017 draft happens, but I have all the other drafts. I have all I mean, the other drafts. It, it's also just, you know, <laughs> understanding where your capital is, right? If you can get the best right tackle, if you can get the best edge rusher in a draft class at the 110 versus the fourth best quarterback, now you're just evaluating value. Like how how good do you think the fourth best quarterback in this draft class is going to be? Because, I mean, we we saw it, you know, the, the year that, that – Trevor, Justin, Trey, you know, uh, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson. Mac Jones is in that zone. Mac, hey, listen, there's, there's, what about what? Would you argue that the, okay, okay, someone might say, well, that's true, but 
On the other hand, the Raiders have a similar problem, similar record, no quarterback. Where would you rather go? If you were a head coaching candidate, would you rather go to Las Vegas or Atlanta? I think, see, the thing is, I think it, I think Vegas already has their coach. I think Antonio Pierce is staying there. Well, I know. I'm just saying we, we, we have eight jobs available in a hypothetical world. Where are you going? Where do you want to go? Give me Atlanta by a hair. Just by a hair. I, I trust I trust the ownership there significantly more in Arthur Blank than I do in in uh, in the Davis family. Well, they're also picking eight versus thirteen, right? So I think the Raiders, yeah, Raiders in, in even worse situation. So those are I think the two worst situations have to be Falcons and Raiders. The Raiders are picking later, but they have more cap space. Falcons are picking earlier; they have less cap space. It's very close. It's very close. One, you have Max Crosby. Like a, a you know a a generational edge rusher as a as a foundational piece, man is he good? That's a nice that's nice to have, right? <laughs> I think you know what, and also because you have Devonte Adams and the trade capital of Devonte Adams, I think the ability to to trade Devonte Adams and and really lean into a tank year this year in Las Vegas, I would prefer the Las Vegas job. I disagree. You know with you. I, I disagree with you again. I wanted to agree with you. I was like, "Yeah, that's probably true." No, no. I'd, I'd, I'll take the Raiders. Where do you think Devonte Adams ends up? Because I have I have a thought. Okay, not the Jets. It's it is the Jets, but it's for a different right. reason than everybody else thinks. What's the reason? I think the reasoning is because the Jets are going to bring in at some point a quarterback that has to be a backup for Aaron Rodgers. When you bring in. As much like as much money as Devontae Adams is going to make, they're going to have to make concessions somewhere. Garrett Wilson, luckily for them, is on a rookie deal, so that they can get away with that a little bit. Their Dalvin Cook's money is off the books; they don't have to worry about that. It's going to be the Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, Devontae Adams show. But I think that having Adams there too, beside Garrett Wilson is going to allow them to invest in a backup quarterback that can also get them there because teams were able to basically double Garrett and force them to try to run Brees Hall 45 times with Zach Wilson. I think that having Devontae Adams allows them to even carry a backup, kind of like Cleveland and Joe Flacco this year, allows them to carry the team further if Rodgers isn't able to go because they have to get their value out of that $60 million they're paying. Who would be the, the best backup they could get? If Tennessee moves off Tannehill, I don't see. It's hard to do much better than that. That no, that is that is the answer. That is that is the that is the answer. And by the way, Devontae Adams might also be looking at Garrett Wilson and going, "I still think I'm better than this guy." Garrett Wilson underperformed his expected fantasy points more than any other wide receiver in the NFL last year, and that was because the targets were not accurate and the fact that there were no other receivers to hold secondaries accountable so that he was you know double covered more than almost any other receiver in the league so even if the ball was accurate there were hands and feet and helmets <laughs> in his way so that all it, 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 if you understand how real football works you know a metric like that can be misleading because Garrett Wilson's phenomenal but it's still a data point that we need to process and understand and like maybe not push Garrett Wilson up into an echelon that he doesn't deserve. Show me a year where you're a wide receiver one in fantasy before I go ahead and vault you. That's my general conservative approach to like dynasty. 
So that's why we don't have Garrett Wilson necessarily penciled in to the, the elite tier of wide receivers quite yet. And check out our dynasty rankings on playerprofile.com to see exactly where we have Garrett Wilson. It's possible that the best job is actually the Tennessee job because Will Levis takes a huge step forward next year, that Will Levis is next year's Jordan Love. That could happen. So the, there, there are two ways that that can really go, right? You have the Jordan Love arc where he starts the season off a little rough, and then by late November, you're like, oh, he's a dude. He, not, not, only, not only is he a pretty solid quarterback that we can win with, he can be a dude. There, there are some throws that Jordan Love made specifically in that Chiefs game where we were all just sitting there like, where the fuck did that come from? Throws that you're talking about, you know, it's what you'd hoped Zach Wilson might turn into to an extent. But Will Levis really has two trajectories from here. He's either going to get into that maybe like diet Jordan Love class, or you're going to look at him as Sam Howell, a guy that has a lot of tools, but is kind of reckless with them. Doesn't quite know exactly what to do with him. He's going to make three throws a game that make you question whether or not he could be a QB one in the future and three or four where you basically pull your hair out as a coach and say, you know, we can't, we can't win with you putting the ball in, in their hands four times a game. Cause I don't think he has, you know, quite the gifts that an Allen and a Mahomes have to have some of those relatively high turnover prone games and get away with it. So one of the, the oldest rosters in the league is the Patriots. The Patriots are interesting in that most of the old rosters have no cap space. The saints negative $75 million. The Bills, negative $43 million. Now, they're going to clean it all up by restructuring. We know that. But it's still going to limit their ability to sign players they want in the offseason. Regardless, it's a problem. Derek Carr, no cap space. That is the worst job. That's the place you never want to go. They are talking about purgatory for years. Like, just nothing on the horizon except mediocrity in New Orleans because of the way they've mismanaged the salary cap for so many years, and now they have to pay the price. The next oldest team after the Saints and the Bills is the Patriots. Average age of 27.3 years and a lot of contracts they can move on from and create even more cap space. They don't have a quarterback that they're overpaying. You could argue that, again, if you get the commitment and the understanding from the the Top equity holder, go to Robert Kraft and say, hey, you're 82. And the answer isn't panic because you're 82 and try to patch something together for this year or next year. The answer is give me a three-year plan and let's go to try to win it all when you're 85. That's the only way you can do this if you're Kraft is you got to invest in the long run, but you know, make sure the coach knows that, hey, they're not going to be held accountable for all these losses and green light just to tear this thing completely down to the studs. Here's my question. If you are this close, if you're New England, you have the third overall pick, you are one spot away from one of Caleb Williams or Drake May. I personally think Caleb's going one basically no matter what, but there's a chance that it could be Drake May. What are you willing to give up to ensure that you have one or the other? I think you wait. I think you wait it out and see what happens. Chicago maybe if they stick with Fields, they trade out Justin Fields Town. They may have decided that they are in on Justin Fields. 
right? They already drank from the fountain, the blessed fountain of the trade down last year. Yeah. So they, 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 it's already touched their lips. The value of the trade down has already touched their lips. Why would they? There's no reason why that they, they, they would just commit to Justin Fields. The idea that Caleb Williams is better than Justin Fields is alluring. He certainly has a higher ceiling now than Justin Fields. Now that we've seen what Justin Fields is for three years, the ceiling on the unknown player with that kind of uh, skill set and resume is higher, but also the floor is lower. We don't we, we don't know what he's going to be. We have a much better idea of what Justin Fields is, and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So you you could say we, we could bank all this value and trade down again, and but you don't know if they trade down the Bears trade down. You don't know who they're going to trade down with. They could trade down with Washington. And then they could you know, flip the number two pick to someone who wants Marvin Harrison. And then the, the New England Patriots just oftentimes, if you're at three, if you just let the draft happen and let things play out, let good things happen, let teams make mistakes in front of you, a, a Drake may will fall to you at three anyway. I think this is the, the, the scenario where basically one, two, however whoever it is that picks at one and two. Cause I don't, if, if Chicago stays at one, I think they're taking Caleb Williams. Oh yeah. They're, 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 yeah. They, they, you could see that too. So I think that one, two basically are going to be teams leapfrogging those two to go get a quarterback or leapfrogging New England to go get a quarterback. I think the only way that they can ensure having one of the two is to, to move up. But the question becomes then, are you ready to win? I think now? that's super. No, that's super presumptuous. Because you need to let the, the the process play out. The process played out, and Saquon Barkley wowed everyone with 99th percentile athleticism at the Combine. He became the number two pick overall. You have no idea what Marvin Harrison is going to show during the process. You have no idea what, what you know, the, the best edge rushers and offensive linemen. It, it's, it's possible. Like I said, it's possible that there's some underwhelming throws from Drake May, and now all of a sudden there's question marks, and it's not the slam dunk that we thought. And there's a couple guys, you know, particularly skill position players, that just absolutely ooze upside during the process. So it's not clear to me. It's just it's not clear to me that you need that you, that you need to just pencil in those two quarterbacks one two right. The order may flop flip flop, but you know. I mean, you have elite talent elsewhere in this class. That's not normal. Brock Bowers is the best tight end to come out in a hot minute. Marvin Harrison's the best wide receiver to come out in a hot minute. You know, you've, you've got elite tier one talent. Joe Alt, Olu Fashanu. Joe Alt is 6'8", 322. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got legitimate top tier talent across other positions too. So if somebody decides we like what we've got at quarterback, I think they're probably trading down, but Liatu you know. Latu, right? Oh, buddy, uh, Jerzon Newton. These guys could go. These guys could go berserk during the combine and just capture everyone's imagination. It wasn't that long ago that you know. Remember a guy that was mocked outside the top ten became the number one pick overall at edge to the Jaguars, <laughs> Trayvon Walker. Yeah. So again, I know this is one of those years where it's Winston Mariota, Goff Wentz. This is abs. You're right. This is shaping up to be one of those years. But I just like to see how the process plays out. For sure, I think that's fair. 
I think that's totally fair, especially when you have freaks like Marv and Brock Bowers, Joe Alt. Lot someone's gonna fall in love with Latu. Half the country didn't watch him because he played at UCLA, but man, can he play! So the Patriots at three. You think that they should potentially trade up, though? You do think? Like, let's say it shakes out the way we thought. Like we have time. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's mid-April and. The Patriots are now pretty sure it's pretty much a, a it's a the betting markets have adjusted right. It's like a negative ten thousand whatever for Caleb Williams at the one hundred one, you know Drake May at the one hundred two. It's all decided because that's the way it was, right? We we know before the draft starts, you know who's going to be the one hundred one. Yep. So at that point, then they may have to make a move. Do you think it's worth it? Do you think it's worth it to make a move to trade to try to trade up to get Drake May? I think the the question becomes, you know. One, if you're New England, how do you feel about Jaden Daniels? Really good player. We've seen we've seen court, multiple quarterbacks top three of the top five before. Uh, what? Do you, how do you feel about Jaden Daniels? Is question number one. Do you think that he works with whoever you hire as your head coach? And then the second thing is basically there are very few quarterbacks that come into the NFL with relatively clean comps where you can just kind of see the player that they are already and what they can be. We saw that with Trevor Lawrence when he came in, and you could see kind of similar archetype, similar player to a Justin Herbert. And when you watch Drake May, you see a lot of the same things. It's very Justin Herbert-ish. And so you can kind of see in that vision what he can be. At the top end, if he struggles a bit like Lawrence did in his first year, you can kind of see the different degrees of development that it'll take to get him to where, you know, Justin Herbert was ready day one. Not everybody's ready day one. Trevor Lawrence, better prospect, I think. But the thing is, he wasn't immediately ready day one because of the situation he was drafted into. So if you're New England, your question is, does it matter if I have a more talented quarterback or does it matter if I surround him with more stuff? And it, only they know the answer to that. Only they know exactly how far along they are in building out that outline. Only they know what their plan is in free agency in terms of going to get weapons. If they're going to trade for, you know, like we talked about earlier, potentially Devontae Adams, someone in that realm, because obviously they can afford the money involved, whereas a lot of teams probably wouldn't want to take that on. Uh, if you're New England, the question should be, what are we going to surround this quarterback with? Because if you need a quarterback to survive out there, Drake and and Jaden Daniels can both do that. They're both really good football players. I just think Drake May is more of a sure thing as you project one level to the the next. And people are going to come back and say, oh, this is Sam Howell all over again. Or this is Mitchell Trubisky all over again because they scouted the helmet and not the player. Drake May is very much in that Justin Herbert mold of quarterback. I'm not suggesting that he's going to be like Justin Herbert was ridiculous day one because uh, I, I don't think that's realistic to expect of anybody. We loved CJ Stroud and even we in our wildest dreams didn't think he'd do this. So, <laughs> I mean, a big part of it is, you know, we thought the Texans going into last year's draft were kind of using 2023 as a reset to go into 2024 and beyond. They're a playoff team. Not only are they that, they're a playoff team hosting a home playoff game from the Jags, who we thought were going to probably run away with that division. I think they were the biggest division favorite in the league this year of any of them. And that's how quickly fortunes can change 
if you get the quarterback and importantly surround him with the right coach and the right pieces around him where everybody's doing the same things. He asked for Tank Dell. You could argue that they overdrafted him at the time. There were people that came out and said, wow, you overdrafted Tank Dell because of C.J. Stroud. Once he got to town, Nico Collins becomes a 1,000-yard receiver. Tank Dell has one of the better rookie seasons for a wide receiver in Houston that we've seen in a minute. You see everything change, and it's because they brought in the right pieces. Clearly, they buy into D'Amico and what he's doing. Um, and, and you know they brought in an innovator, and Bobby Slowick, who's done some nice things offensively for him. Everything is aligned there. That's the difference. From ownership on down to their quarterback, there was a plan. They executed the plan. The quarterback hit. The pieces hit. And that's how you go from being one of the worst teams in the league to being a playoff team basically overnight. Does it help that the division kind of had a down year? Yes, of course it does. But a big part of the plan that you have in place if you're New England is how quickly do we want to compete? Because Houston wanted to compete damn near immediately. They had paid their offensive tackles. They had a running back that they liked in Damian Pierce. There were established guys behind him in Devin Singletary. They said, give us a quarterback, an offensive coach. We'll bring D'Amico home to run the defense. Let's turn the key on this thing and see how far it goes. If New England wants a full reset to get everybody out of there, to bring in fresh blood, then they're probably not going to compete in 2024. They're going to take much the same approach that the Colts took. The Colts, I don't think the Colts thought they were competing in 2023. They just, Shane Steichen poured magic dust over that team and they were competing for a playoff spot in a home week 18 game without the quarterback that they drafted at four overall. That's not supposed to happen. These things do not happen that way on accident. All of that, again, Ursay got out of the way and allowed them to do the things that they wanted to do, both in personnel management, roster management, and with who the head coach wanted to start. He wanted to bring back Minshew and look where it got him. Almost back into the playoffs for what would that be? The third or fourth time with a turnkey quarterback, whether it was Rivers, Ryan. They've done this over and over again. And I think it's, it's a testament to ownership getting out of the way. When Jim Mersey was trying to control personnel decisions, it got them nowhere. It got them <laughs> it got them their GM fired, realistically speaking. And so I think when you look at what New England can be, one of the two has to be the pick there. If it's Drake Mayer, if it's Jaden Daniels, I think whoever it is in New England needs to be set up for a long time. And maybe it's worth even considering, you know. If you don't love Jaden Daniels' history, if you think he's too old, whatever the case may be, do you trade down and basically understand that you're going to try to draft your quarterback in 2025 and beyond? There has to be a plan, is what I'm saying. It's it's not just a, who do we draft at number two, number three, do we give up picks for this? There has to be a plan significantly beyond that. I have thoughts on what the Patriots should do, and I will tell you after this. It has been two years since Josh Larkey paved the way for fantasy gamers to start expecting positive returns from Pick'em games, specifically underdog Pick'ems. And how do you do it? Well, you look at the slate and you find a great shootout or a sneaky shootout. You also look for a shit show game. Three, four, five, six guys in one game. That's right. You can do it. You can do it. And you could 100x your payout on underdog. Think about week one. 
Jets Bills was a shit show. Did we see the Aaron Rodgers injury coming? No, but we knew the Jets have a good defense. We knew the Bills have a good defense. Why not expect the worst? And the worst is what we got. So if you had gone Dalvin Cook less than, Garrett Wilson less than, Aaron Rodgers less than, Josh Allen less than, Gabriel Davis less than, boom, 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 boom. You can go six for six. Same thing in week two. Oh, week two. Oh, sneaky shootout there in Philadelphia. Minnesota's going to be in comeback mode. So we'll go Cousins, Jefferson, Hawkinson, more than. Madison, less than. But also Swift, more than. Boom, 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 boom. That's how you do it with the underdog pickums, And you use promo code UNDERWORLD to get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. You put in 100 underdog matches that deposit up to a hundred bucks with promo code underworld. Go start picking. Week one, week two feels like so long ago. Oh my God. There was, there was a thought that maybe the Patriots could be competitive. The Patriots should not draft a quarterback. This is not the right time to draft a quarterback in the sequence of events of building a franchise from the studs up. Do they have a cornerstone left tackle? Do they have a, a, a Max Crosby, even, you know, any Bosa level edge rusher? No, right? Who's their alpha corner, right? They don't have the pieces, right? They don't have anything close to the foundation that you would need to now bring in a quarterback. Our general premise of this show is that the quarterback is really the antenna on top of the tower, and it's a process to build that tower up into the sky. You have all this cap space. You have all these guys you can cut. You can let them move on. You can bank more supplemental picks like the Patriots used to do, right? But Belichick just got tired. You got to bring someone in with energy and enthusiasm who knows that this is a long-term project and trade the hell down. That's what they should do. There is going to be someone who is who who's in love with a Marvin Harrison or whoever the third quarterback, right? It could be Penix. We, again, the process will determine who the QB three is in this class, and you know there there's going to be a real some real enthusiasm around that that player, like with what happened last year with Anthony Richardson, right? So you could take advantage of that and trade the hell down. Everyone that has traded down has is has ended up happier. Right? Would the Eagles go back and not trade down all the times they've traded down the last few years? No. Would the Bears go back and not? No. Like, no, no, no. Like, even the Cardinals, right? Oh, they gave up on Will Anderson. Would they go back and, and, and change the outcome, right? Would they go back and, and with the hand of God and, and, and take the pick? No, they would. They, every time you trade down, you end up happier because you have all these bites at the apple. So that's what they should do. Bank the salary cap space, build up more salary cap space. So you're number one in salary cap space next year. Trade down, get more picks. Look at look at the depth of this class, right? Where is the depth? The depth is at edge. The depth is at O-line. Look how many offensive linemen are there. You got uh, Fashanu, Alt, Latham, right? All in the top 12, you know, Mims. Fuaga. It just goes on and on and on down this class. Fuatanu, right? By the way, Washington. Really challenging me with my pronunciation. So thank you to Washington. 
Whereas, like, Duke is like, Graham Barton. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's like, of course, the guy from Duke is named Graham. (laughs) Right? Of course. Right? It makes sense. Uh, Everyone on the West Coast, like, has more vowels than than consonants in their name. And I have to, like, take a double take. I'm like, okay, let's take a breath. You know what these letters mean and how how to pronounce them. Let's do this. Let's put this together. And also there's a guy named Kool-Aid, which is great. That's fun. So there's just – there's – you know, foundational edge rushers, there's foundational offensive linemen, there's foundational cornerbacks, Wiggins. I mean, again, look at all these Cooper Dijon, Dijon. Is it Dijon or Dijon? Dijon. Is this Dijon? That's great. That's so great. Right. Please. Dear sir, would you please please, please pass the Dijon? Um, uh, So anyway, uh, this is a tailor-made perfect class to trade down because you're trading down into these hot zones of the types of players that we want to build around with first-round picks where you're not talking yourself into some defensive tackle or some tight end. Yes, you're going to avoid Brock Bowers. That's just not our process. We don't draft tight ends in the top 10. It's just not what we do. Uh, and it, it almost always is a good idea to avoid tight ends in the top 10. Uh, but there are guys named Chop. There are guys named Kool-Aid. I mean, it's just so cool. There's a JJ. There's a Bo. I'm loving this class. It's a fun, fun class. There's, It's just, what, don't you want to go and have a supermarket sweep? Why would you want to just trade all your groceries in for one turkey? Doesn't Cooper DeJean already sound like a New England Patriot? Why not? The all white, the all white team needs a corner, right? It's just let's it's, make him a patriot, just on on principle alone. You know, I, I feel like born to wear that jersey, Iowa feels like you know super northeast ethos. You love to see it. There's a lot of apostrophes in Texas, right? <laughs> you got you got Tavondre, you got Tavondre, uh, J- Jatavian. This is just this is fun. You got people, you got juniors and the thirds, Leonard Taylor the third. You got Byron Murphy the second. Why is there a second? Isn't that junior? Heck of I know, man. Isn't that, I thought that was junior. So anyway, there's a guy named Bucky. There's so many, this is a, Bucky. this is a fun, fun situation. This is, a, go have fun. What I would say to New England is, go have a supermarket sweep. That's what the Bears are enjoying. The Bears already started the process, right? They they moved up to what seven and ten this year from having one of the worst records in the league last year, and they did it by improving the offensive line and improving the, their core defense, and that was good for five wins. Yeah, I think when you look at how the Bears have done things and what they got from going one hundred one down. The biggest, the only reason that we're talking about Caleb Williams or Drake May in Chicago as opposed to Justin Fields is because the pick that they ended up trading for ended up being the 101. They didn't rightfully earn it. (laughs) They weren't the worst team in the league this year. They just happened to trade with the team that absolutely whiffed on, you know, bringing their quarterback help in any fashion. You know, God, how much do you think Bryce Young wanted DJ more this year watching him in Chicago? Uh, But, you know, I think when you look at all of New England's outcomes, I don't think that nailing quarterback in this draft is is you know I think if if you get someone that's 
and elite all pro level talent year after year after year and you think you're within striking distance of getting him sure but are you guaranteed that no whereas you know if you if you get three ones to move back or you know two ones and a two to move back significantly you're still going to find really really good players between 10 and 20 we have all pros selected in that range borderline every year we have guys in the top 10 that are flaming busts every year so i mean it's it's no draft capital and positioning is no guarantee of value it's also it also can be a value store as it was for Chicago this year. Trading out of the one hundred and one actually got them a better one hundred and one. Believe it or not, yeah, <laughs> as crazy. And, it, as that and, is. and if you want to be, a, if you want to like say, hey, this is what the Patriots do. This is a very Patriots pick. If they're picking at the two hundred and three, isn't that where JJ McCarthy's going to go? <laughs> right. You have a you have a Michigan quarterback. With like a five to one touchdown interception ratio, hmm, hmm, what does that sound like? Hmm, it's very Pat's move. <laughs> that would be the Pat's move right there. And you know, I think there's going to be a lot of push to to hire from within. We've heard floated out there that Gerard Mayo is getting serious consideration for New England. You know, it's kind of kind of a new blood, but keeping the bones of the old structure to an extent. Oh, a a player's coach, a former player who people respect, the locker room respects. That's my number one. So, yes, Mayo should be. Yes, absolutely. Now, in the chat, there's uh, complaints that we have forgotten about a team that actually is positioned the stone worst. That when we're, you know, arguing over Falcons versus Raiders – that you can't forget the team that is completely and utterly rudderless and <laughs> set up for failure, not quite like long-term purgatory of the New Orleans Saints. That's a that's a special kind of long-term purgatory. But could you argue that Pete Carroll fired himself that he saw how the roster was structured? And what the world looked like competing with the 49ers year in, year out. And was like, look, he say, I'm 70. I'm going to fire myself. I don't want to expose myself to this level of scrutiny anymore and take the losses that I know are coming in the next couple of years. We don't have a quarterback and we have no cap space. I mean, if you had to, if you were running the equation of quarterback and cap space, right? Seattle is the worst position because they're outside the top 20 in cap space and they don't have a long-term answer at quarterback. I think that Gino was brought in to kind of be the bridge, right? It was going to be a battle between him and Drew Locke just, what is it, a year and a half ago? That's, that was the story, was Gino beats out Drew Locke to be the starting quarterback. Then he has his 2022 and was really, really good. And in 2023, I still think he was pretty good, but... If you're going to long-term try to compete with the San Fran, with the Rams, with what the Cardinals have in Kyler Murray, the problem, because the roster around him has to be so good year to year, you allow yourself very little margin for error with draft picks. You allow yourself very little margin for error with free agent signings and who you choose to bring back. It's not that that having a a you know a quarterback limits your ceiling as much as it limits how much you have to adjust your floor year to year. Where if Geno has an incredible year, yeah, of course the, Se- the Seahawks can be a really good team and compete. 
but you can't expect a 95th percentile year out of Gino every single year. You know what he is to an extent. And what he is, is an, I would say, above average NFL starting quarterback that can at times push. Yeah. Do you know who the average NFL? What? Yeah. Are, are, no. Above average? Yeah. I think that's very hot. I, I think that above QB 16. Yeah. You think that's hot? I think yes. Because I, now all of a sudden, well, you have to remember, where do you have Anthony Richardson? Well, I mean, I think that's completely TBD. That's <laughs> that, the tough part about that is, you know, how does he recover from the injury? We don't have that concern. Where do I you mean, have Kirk Cousins? Where do you have Jordan Love? Where do you have Jared Goff? Like, where do you have Justin Fields? Like, a, a lot of it, where do you have Bryce Young? Uh, I would rather have Bryce Young, right? So if you go down the board. Dynasty-wise, for uh, sure. Baker Mayfield had a better year. Baker Mayfield had a better year than Geno Smith. I mean, just in terms of starting quarterbacks. Matthew Stafford. I'm just saying, to say a quarterback is above average, you know, when you know when you look outside like the big five quarterbacks, I mean, outside the Mahomes and the Hurts and the Burrows and the Josh Allens and now C.J. Stroud, Lamar Jackson, you still have Kyler Murray, you still have Brock Purdy, you still have Dak Prescott. Aaron Rodgers. You're talking about basically dynasty rankings. I'm just talking about. No, I'm just talking about the team. I'm talking about Goff, Love. No, no, he's not a top 16 quarterback. He's Justin Herbert. He's not. I could. Kirk Cousins. He's not. You're putting Bryce Young ahead of Geno Smith right now. Geno Smith is not a top 16 quarterback. Let us know in the chat. Anyone put it in the comments. Oh, man. <laughs> Do you think Geno Smith is a top 16 quarterback in the league? And please, before you answer, go through the rosters of the NFL and remind yourself of all these quarterbacks. You think he's better than Tua? Like what? No. So. He is outside because he's outside the top sixteen. Specifically, I, is is the reason to move on. It's the reason you got to move. You got to you, you got to expedite the move on from a Derek Carr, from a Geno Smith. But that doesn't mean drafting a first round quarterback. That means taking shots. That means taking shots on QB in round two, three, four, five, six, seven. Just like the 49ers did with Brock Purdy. Just like you know Washington, Sam Howell. Sam Howell was an abomination at the end of the season. Okay, it was a travesty inside uh, a a uh, uh, catastrophe. And yet, and yet, and yet, it was a great pick. It was a great to get that kind of player that can do that, can give you those wow games, can give you 400 yard games in the fifth round of the NFL draft is a massive hit. That is a massive win. Such a better pick than, say, Daniel Jones at six. When there's not a big difference between Daniel Jones and Sam Howell. There just isn't. Everybody knows that. Everybody knew that when Daniel Jones was being picked. Everybody knew that when Sam Howell was being picked. Hey, this is like a Daniel Jones type of guy. Right? Those are all great picks, but those are the things. I'm talking about if you're in this situation, if you're in a situation like Atlanta's in, like the Raiders, you need to be drafting three Aiden O'Connells. Aiden O'Connell was it a? It's just an awesome pick. What a fantastic pick! Do it two more times. Why not? And that's what the Patriots need to be doing. I'm not saying just draft JJ McCarthy in the second round, which I actually wouldn't do. I think that'd be even too early for me to draft a quarterback. That that's almost your hope. Really, really putting a, a, a valuable piece down and, and hoping it hits. I would say as soon as it kicks over into the third round, I could 
I could I could roster three quarterbacks. What's to stop? What is the stopping? What is preventing NFL teams that need quarterbacks from taking three shots on a Sam Howell type in the NFL draft? Why don't they do that? The strangest part about it to me is the teams that don't carry three that don't even like try to get a third infuriating infuriating because the idea is at some point if you go into camp right like san fran went into camp with trey lance a guy that they traded up to third overall for sam darnold yep another top five pick and brock purdy the guy that was taken with the last pick in the draft now we've seen flashes that all three of those guys can play they're all NFL quarterbacks. Now, is Trey Lance ready to start? No. Is Sam Darnold going to be a long-term starter for a team for four or five years? No. But the fact that they can give you spot starts for what they are at this point, right, which Dallas got trade for a fourth-round pick, I think it was, and they got Sam Darnold basically for pennies. They, they're, not, they're not paying him anything. Brock Purdy was essentially a free lottery ticket. I think every year a team should at least – consider drafting someone in rounds five, six, seven. But I think Seattle specifically, the the most fun, the most fun story is obviously Michael Penix staying in the Northwest. I think that would be, that's the most fun outcome. <laughs> but but uh, how likely is that given the game that he had against Texas? Probably a lot less likely than it was three weeks ago. So, um, you know, and, and again, there's, right. I mean, there's, the Seattle is the 16th pick. Yeah. The, the inherent bias here not too, happening. towards, you know, that's, that's just it. Everybody saw the Michael Penix game against Texas. And for a lot of people, that's the first time that they watched them this year. And if that's fine, if that's what your opinion is, that's okay. You're allowed to have an opinion based on watching one game. What I'll tell you from watching all of the games is that was the best performance that he's put together in an individual game this season there are times where he's looked like the guy that played against Michigan where he missed high and missed low you just saw a perfect game and so when you take it all into account there are people that are going to try and compare it to what we saw from Bryce Young what we saw from CJ Stroud where they had these generational games against Georgia in separate instances and try to kind of adapt Michael Penix into that he's not quite in that class really good football player accurate to all three levels of the field but I think that when we go through this process there are going to be some things that you see that don't quite hold up to your opinion of what that Texas game looked like and for that reason he may be one of those guys that instead of going up into the top 10 might settle into the middle to late first round. So that's what you so the the, the process could hurt Michael Penix and then he could end up in Seattle it is possible. That's what you're saying. The, the process could hurt him. We've seen this happen, right? Where you, you go to the pro day and people are walking away, shaking their head. Like that's very possible with Penix. Yeah. And it, I mean, the injury history too, you, you've got to consider that he's torn his ACL twice. Um, I think it was four seasons that he's missed with some kind of injury. Um, you know, he's, he's another one of these, COVID quarterbacks that we talk about coming into the league that are more ready than others just because they've had NFL starts or they've Mm -hmm. had college football starts that translates to the NFL more than a guy that has 12 career starts. It's just, it is what it is. CJ Stroud had 26 or 27, I think real 
D1 high-level college football starts. That matters when you're comparing him to a Mitchell Trubisky that started 13 games at UNC. There is a difference inherently in how many games you started. I think Mitch started 13 or 14, whatever it was. The one-year guys, Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State, perfect example. One year, and it was a great year. But he didn't get to see people go through an offseason, adapt to what he does well, and solve problems a second time. He had to do that at the NFL level and just couldn't do it when we saw him initially. So I think a lot of these COVID quarterbacks that have 25, 30, 35 starts, you're going to see them as these pieces that teams can draft in later rounds and get a lot of value back out of because they can start for you in a spot emergency situation, Aiden O'Connell in this case, right? He can start games for you and not look absolutely terrible and can lead you to wins when you need a three to four week bridge. And then you can develop him for two to three years and see if he can have a Jordan Love-esque career trajectory where clearly year one, two, three, he wasn't ready. Year four takes him a while to hit the ground running. And then finally you see it at the end of the year, this is what he can be. Anthony uh, Majika in the chat says that Gino is outside the top 20 easily. We're betting on guys that haven't done it yet, though. That like, That's the problem with going with rookies is it was, you go back, literally just take it back one full year. The 101 in Superflex rookie drafts was Bryce Young. CJ Stroud went 105. The guy, that, the guy that you wanted, the guy that ultimately now you could argue has entered the top five in terms of dynasty super flex rankings is the guy that was being drafted 105 in rookie startups last year. So it, it, your opinions of specifically rookies can change rather quickly, but I don't disagree. I think that he will be phased out with that next group of rookies this okay. year and the year after. But okay, good, at this good, moment, good. Yeah, at least we agree on that. Here's what I'll say. I, I don't, yeah. I want to make sure everyone remembers this because he hasn't played in many months, but the hype will start again. He's going to get back on the practice field. He's going to be participating in mini camp and training camp. And the excitement is going to build throughout the summer where, you know, it is possible that a rookie quarterback from last year that is not CJ Stroud will be a top five quarterback drafted. It is very possible. I mean, get, don't for, just please don't forget that Anthony Richardson is that guy. Anthony Richardson is that guy. These things do not happen that way on accident. All of that, again, Ursay got out of the way and allowed them to do the things that they wanted to do, both in personnel management, roster management, and with who the head coach wanted to start. He wanted to bring back Minshew and look where it got him. Almost back into the playoffs for what would that be? The third or fourth time with a turnkey quarterback, whether it was Rivers, Ryan, They've done this over and over again. And I think it's it's a testament to ownership getting out of the way. When Jim Mersey was trying to control personnel decisions, it got them nowhere. 
right as rain. The pod father with these coaches and these coaching trees, entire coaching trees being chopped down this year. Very excited for the complete vanquishment of anything that resembles a Belichick or a Belichick tree or a seed of a Belichick, a sapling of a Belichick. Just the uh, forest fire coming in and wiping out all of the uh, growth and the old growth, especially the dead embers all burn to the ground. This is I love this. I let it burn. Let it let it burn on and just burning it to the ground. Nothing but smoking embers while also laughing at ownership. The equity holders of these franchises thinking that they could just fix it by changing the guy that's running the projector in the meetings. And that's how you go from being one of the worst teams in the league to being a playoff team basically overnight. Does it help that the division kind of had a down year? Yes. It's it's a it's a terrible place to be picking 10th, which is like the Brady Quinn zone.